0: Welcome to the Brian Piagrossi Podcast, the podcast community for living your best life and creating a more beautiful world. Each episode, we inquire into the frontiers of inner peace, love, freedom, creativity, and empowerment with authors, artists, musicians, healers, spiritual teachers yogis, activists, revolutionaries, entrepreneurs, comedians, scientists, psychologists, poets, mystics, and you. These conversations are unedited and always 100% authentic to how they happen. I'm your host, personal coach and author Brian Piergrosi. I've worked for over 13 years with thousands of people around the world to break through unconscious limiting belief systems and bring healing, transformation, and inspired manifestation to those who are ready and interested. For online personal sessions with me or in-person sessions with me in the magic of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, contact me at TheBigGlow.com. The sponsor of this podcast is you. If you appreciate our community, become a patron supporter at Patreon.com/slash/TheBigGlow. Welcome to the Brian Piergrose podcast. That's me, Brian Piergrose. Aaron Nichols with me out of Boulder, Colorado. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. We were just talking about what. What do you do? What do you? It's, just, it's, it's kind of a. I always um, when it's when it's challenging to answer that question. I always have more respect for the person than when it's not, right? So nice. He's, he's a free man that does what he wants. <laughs> what he wants. But I was saying that. Yeah. I think of you as an investigative journalist because I came into your writings uh, through Facebook, and this was probably I would say the spring and you were just sharing some, some writings that were really, in my, to me, were really lucid and really inquiring into what's happening and really asking some great questions and um, inviting people to dive deeper below the kind of mainstream narrative of what's happening. And um, I know you got a lot of, um, how, many, how many shares do you think you, some of those posts, probably <laughs>
1: hundreds, thousands? Th- thousands on a few of them. Um... I th- think probably up to like 7,000 or something on, yeah. on a couple of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe actually one of them, which was not related to the pandemic, um, I think uh, I'd have to check, but I think it got up to like 20,000 shares. Mm-hmm. And that was about the uh, the Starlink thing, the low Earth orbiting satellites. Cool. Yeah. And I think you you just... There was such a longing. I mean, there was kind of this felt
0: sense that something wasn't right and, you know, it was confusing and people were kind of looking for something that would, I think you just, you, you hit it at the right time. And, you, and you, like I said, your writing was really um, lucid and clear. And mm. um, so I think that you really catalyzed something that people were wanting to connect to. Yeah. And um, and you have just kind of been doing that since then as I've, I've followed your... Your your mm-hmm. work, you know, you've been kind of just exploring, you know, what what the mainstream media has given us, questioning it, um, sometimes providing some alternative um, uh, truths or, or facts or um, mm-hmm. potentialities things things people can dive into. Mm-hmm. So, how what what made you? <laughs> What made you question what was happening? And then when did you start questioning it? When did, I recall I was in, I was thinking about this recently. I was actually, I went to Thailand in uh, January. We spent two months in Thailand.
1: I was in Thailand in January too. Yeah, that doesn't surprise yeah. me somehow. <laughs> what, what part of Thailand? Go Phangan. So was I. What? Yeah, I no was like Go yeah yeah i actually spent about six months um of the past well probably last year 2019 i spent about six months there
0: what a great place huh yeah i was feeling like that was that was the winter home uh Uh, i don't think it's gonna be this year i was saying they're closed until january at least now thailand yeah 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 Mm -hmm. yeah so so um um I was there. Sounds like you were there too. And um, people were talking about this, um, this uh, coronavirus, even at that time. But at that time it was just in China, you know? So I remember thinking like, I don't, I'm like, why are they giving so much attention to something happening in China? Just a few people are being affected by it. Like, it seems really, really strange that this thing is getting like, so much cuz they you know the american media is infamous for only focusing on america <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. they don't talk about other you know rarely do they go into other countries things happen in other places but it was like every day it was like this virus in china this virus and I was mm-hmm. like, so I'm, I'm reflecting back and I'm like even back at the very beginning it was like this strange media obsession you know, it's almost like, you know, there was this idea of like, we're gonna talk about this and this is gonna be the biggest thing and we're gonna make it, we're gonna make this a top headline every night and mm. and it's been that way since then. Yeah. So, um, I'm just curious like what your kind of process was as this was coming into the in, in the news and how you were looking at it and how you're feeling into it.
1: <clears throat> well, uh, I mean, I've been investigating things that the average person isn't supposed to know about as I mean, I can say that earnestly, I think there are certain things we're not supposed to know about Um, for a very long time. And I had really, I mean, I've kind of gone through phases with it, Um, but I can say that last year I was not in that mode at all. I was really focused on other things. Uh, By the way, to sort of answer your question, yes, it's hard for me to define like what I do, and I noticed in a, in a recent podcast of yours, you were kind of, you answered the question also sort of like, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I say this, sometimes that, and um, I can definitely relate to that. But I've been focused on entrepreneurship mostly for the last several years. And then last year, having been liberated from my last business, I decided to focus on writing more, but I was writing about completely different things and and um so when this pandemic thing started yeah i was in i was in thailand at the time and i was also like what? this doesn't seem like like it's as big a deal as they're making it um i remember making a facebook post that was like you know me on the airplane with no mask and like all these other people who were not afraid to travel and you know be in close quarters um And I remember also actually posting that and then realizing, oh, I'm not actually being very empathetic here to people's fear because people were really afraid. And, um, but I really underestimated how big this thing would get, as probably most people did. Um, And then, you know, shortly after I returned to the United States, there was the first, you know, two week lockdown thing. Yeah,
0: and when when did you get back?
1: Uh, March. I th- I don't remember the exact timeline, but I think it was February. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was within a week or two of being back that this thing started. So, and and that was probably March. Yeah. This thing being the the lockdown. The lockdown in the US. Two. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's the thing, man. I haven't been sick in over a decade because I'm super into like self healing and alternative medicines and basically doctoring myself. And I've been taking high dose vitamin C for years. And so I'm like, okay, some sort of new cold like virus actually, you know what there was, it's, it's a little um, more complicated than that. But, but a large part of me was like, okay, a cold like virus, whatever. I'm, you know, it's not really a big concern for me because I know I'm I'm not going to be susceptible to that. However, having been aware of for years that the fact that there is <clears throat> um, that there are biological weapons that have been produced by our country and other countries for a long time, I actually did exercise some caution um, just considering like who knows what this is. It could even appear to be some sort of, you know, cold type virus or, or flu type virus, but even have some other kind of mechanism that's engineered into it. I didn't know. And so I, you know, was actually in the beginning, like encouraging my partner, like, let's wear masks, let's use hand sanitizer, let's be careful because who knows what the hell we could be infected with that even could, could possibly not show its real effects for years to come, who knows. Um, then, you know, as we all got more information about it, um, I became less concerned. It did seem to be more like a flu or cold type of thing. Um, and again, because of my own, uh, vitamin and other supplement regimen that I feel very confident in, I was just like, all right, I, I don't really have much to be concerned about. And then I started writing about it. Mm-hmm. On, I, I yeah. wanted to
0: add to I I, I mm. think I, at that time, it's important to note that. I believe the projections that the models they were putting out were 3.5% death rate. You know, that's that's, that's what sent all the lockdowns in the U S and everything into place was this model. Yeah. And that's the thing that's, that's what, so talk about sense making, right? So here, here, here's something interesting. The first thing you know is models aren't what's actually happening. Right. So this is, this is one thing that's that gets conflated all the time. It's like, who's making these models, right? What's their agenda? What's their reason for making the models? And it's like, well, this is the model of what could happen in the future. So now we have to do all blah, 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 blah. Mm. You know, and it's just important to recognize that, as we see from 3.5% to less than 0.1%, um, you know, the models are just models. And, you know, are these are these models corrupted, which in this case, I believe they were, you know by the people that are creating them for an agenda of what they want to fulfill so essentially you're helping me to like kind of like go back and look at how because I'm, I'm like how did this get yeah, from soon. you know to point a to where it is now right
1: yeah 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 and that model i think it was predicting like over two million deaths in the united states yeah and, yeah um that was oh my god i mean i i did so much research back then i could you know I'll, i can recall some details but I won't get them all exactly right right now because it's been several months, but that model was produced, I believe, by a guy named Ferguson.
0: Yes, Neil Ferguson.
1: Neil Ferguson, who (laughs) was infamous already for creating wildly inaccurate models. Yeah. And his, the university, which I'm not recalling. um, I think it's London. He's based in the UK. I know that. Uh Definitely UK, but... I think the same month that that model was produced, they received like millions of dollars in funding from the Gates Foundation. Yeah. Which is interesting because, um, you know, I I don't know, you know, um, much about your audience, but I I imagine uh, people are fairly open-minded to these kinds of things, but... We'll find out. uh, Yeah. Imperial
0: (laughs) Imperial College of London.
1: There you go. Right. So I'm, Which, thinking, yeah. I'm thinking
0: of the, the Joe Rogan podcast. I'm going to be Joe and Jamie. I'll, I'll look up the uh, the information. <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that model was wildly inaccurate. Um, that was, I think, you know, pretty quickly shown to be inaccurate. Yeah. And even not considering lockdown measures and all of that. Um, another interesting note about Neil hmm.
0: Ferguson was that so they had this you know full lockdown in the UK um, social distancing you know you know Mm -hmm. don't leave your house this is back when it don't leave your house social distancing this was like kind of end of March beginning of April so Neil Ferguson the guy that put the model out um, gets caught having an affair I
1: know
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I suppose he'd open marriage or whatever, but he gets up having sex with uh, another woman, and he lost he lost his position and his everything. So, you know, it's just right. interesting how the people that push these things so the strongest are the ones that don't follow the very things that they're telling us to push because you know yeah. they, don't, they, they know they're not legitimate.
1: Yeah, he was the original Pelosi, and then did you see the the photo of Fauci at the baseball game with yeah no mask on yeah. next to? I think the I think he was between his wife and a friend, but, um, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I started looking into it all, man. And I mean, obviously I come from a pretty skeptical place with regard to public health orders and really the medical establishment in general. Right. Um, and a lot of that goes back to like we talked before about vitamin C and I mean, that's just kind of one, to me understanding vitamin c is kind of a red pill when it comes to not just the medical establishment and institutional medicine um but it it can open up the question of what else are we not being told because you know it's like the um the average doctor is i mean even with the best intentions i'm not saying like Doctors are, you know, evil or anything. Um, although I've I've heard some other people suggest that, um, considering they're uh, a lot of the, that, a lot of them are going to be more uh, motivated by profit and sort of their their good standing in the medical community than they are by actually practicing good medicine. And I I know that's not the case for all doctors, but you know, p- people are. <laughs> People are, are motivated by, you know, those basic pressures of like financial incentive and also just, you know, social, um, uh, their, you know, reputation and, and status and social acceptance. Um, but anyway, the average doctor will tell you, you know, vitamin C has never been proven to cure anything. You can't absorb, you know, more than this amount. So you shouldn't really take the, you know, anything more than the USDA recommended dosage and like, you're just going to flush it out and all of this stuff, which I mean, has a kernel of truth in it. But the reality is that vitamin C is probably the most studied medicine or substance in all of medical science. There are over 65,000 peer reviewed papers in on PubMed uh, that are, are either directly about vitamin C or that mention vitamin C. I mean, it's so widely studied, and yet most doctors just are completely ignorant of what it actually does and how effective it can be in preventing and fighting disease. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, that right there is something that, like, for me, I mean, years ago when I first learned about high dose vitamin C, what they call megadosing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively brave person, I guess. And I'm like willing to experiment on myself and, and I, I'm kind of always questioning authority and things. And so I was willing to do it. Most people would think that the, the dosages of vitamin C that I take are insane. Um, but I discovered that it actually keeps me from getting sick, you know, and that is like, wow. So we're looking at all these people. I mean, just from that perspective, again, kind of as a red pill, It's like in my own experience, going from being, you know, a a normal sort of person who gets sick a few times a year throughout my life to then never getting sick again, you know, for the last uh, 10, 10, 12 years, something like that.
0: And what's the dosage that you take?
1: Um, I've experimented with different things Um, lately as I've I've actually done more research on vitamin C um, recently, I've started taking more um, and I, I've learned a lot recently actually. So before it was mostly like I got a little bit of information in the beginning and then I um, just kind of ran with that and experimented with myself. And now I've actually looked a lot more at the science. Um, so for me, currently I'm taking uh, about six grams a day. Um, it is a formula that includes um, bioflavonoids. It's buffered with calcium and magnesium, which allows you to take a lot more at one time without having any kind of um, digestive upset, which you know is one of the things that prevents people from taking a lot at one time. is because if you took like, yeah, as I'm doing like three grams of straight asc- ascorbic acid, um, it might hurt your stomach. It's not gonna do any like real damage, but it would be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can take of this stuff that I do take, uh, that I've been taking for over a decade, I can literally take eight grams at a time and experience no di- digestive pain or upset whatsoever. Um, so yeah, currently just as a maintenance dose, I'm taking, uh, two doses of three grams per day. Um, yeah. And I feel great. And actually I even experimented recently cause I was watching, um, I've been getting into Thomas Levy's work and, and reading his books and, and watching interviews with him. And he's kind of like the main proponent of vitamin C, probably internationally. And it's not like he's the only guy who knows this stuff. He just happens to be the most vocal. And, um, and I think he's done a great service in getting other medical doctors to open their eyes and, and start experimenting with stuff. But um, uh, he, what was I gonna say about Thomas Levy? Um yeah so he was talking about how most of us are actually living with infections that we're not aware of.
0: Yeah.
1: And a major thing is dental infections. Uh supposedly up to 95% of dental infections are asymptomatic, like you just would have no idea unless you do a 3D x-ray. Um but whether it's dental or in some other part of the body and he even said like you know you could get a cold and then even though the symptoms go away and you feel fine, that it's still at some level lingering for months and your body is still fighting that. And so the thing with vitamin C is that you know when you've taken more than your body can absorb when you hit what they call bowel tolerance, which means that you get loose stool, you can even like get full on diarrhea um, you know, to varying degrees. And so that's when you know, okay, I've taken more than my body can absorb, No problem. It's just going to flush out. It's not, you know, you're not hurting yourself. And so I decided like, because usually I won't take more than three at a time, um, three grams at a time, unless I'm feeling some sort of symptoms. And the other night I was like, huh, I'll just take six and see what happens. My body completely absorbed it. No, no, I didn't hit the bowel tolerance. And so you know, it's just interesting that like, who knows what I could have been fighting or what I might, might be fighting on an ongoing basis. Um, And all of us, I mean, when you look at all of the the chronic illness that people experience, you know, in so much of this, it's like symptoms are popping up where there could be a much deeper underlying, you know, issue that will become, you know, express itself here as like this disease or that disease. but you know, at a at a baseline, I think our general health is is actually pretty poor. Um, I mean, you know,
0: And in, in America, it's more poor than you know many other places in the Western world. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, we have really uh, the diets. Our diets are really poor. Obesity levels really high. Drug drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Um, you know, you go to you go to for people that don't know. Um, you go to Thailand. I don't think I saw a single <laughs> a single fat Thai person. No. Well, no, months. I,
1: I, I, I <laughs> you, might have,
0: you might have seen one, but I didn't. I don't recall seeing a single person. Maybe yeah. I saw one or two. Yeah, but, um, there are a few. <laughs> but I believe I believe we're over fifty percent in America,
1: uh-huh. as far
0: as people who are overweight. I'm, I'm almost sure we're over fifty percent people who yeah. are overweight in America, adults. And yeah. increasing in children,
1: um, you know that's that's another thing I, I do. We just want to mention though, just to sort of add a little bit more um, empirical evidence to the the uh, vitamin C topic. Is that like, yes, I was actually raised with a fair amount of health consciousness. Like, fed way less sugar than most kids. Like, I got a good start as far as like my immune system and and general health, but. I mean, as soon as as I was in my late teens and through, you know, the first half of my twenties, I had a I ate, you know, drive-through food, did a lot of drugs, smoked, a lot of alcohol, barely slept. Um, you know, and of course those things contributed to me being to getting sick when I did as well. And I did start to turn those things around a bit when I <laughs> around the same time that I started um vitamin C megadosing, but To note, I've still averaged five and a half hours of sleep since then, uh, which is not good for one's immune system, you know. Um, I still smoke organic tobacco, um, you know, which to a lot of people is like, oh my God, terrible thing for your health, you know, you're gonna get sick. Point is, I don't have like a perfect diet. I don't take care of myself perfectly. Nonetheless, I've been able to avoid getting sick you know, and I'm not like living in a bubble. It, it, it's, it's I, I very much attribute my general good health to vitamin C, also a decent diet. Mm-hmm. So I just I just wanted to put that in there. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, it, to me, it's, it, I mean, this is the thing that's been frustrating with uh, WHO and, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Fauci and all, the, all these people, all these people that come on camera is obviously if there's a virus the only cure for the virus is your immune system you know and it's like they don't even talk about like ways to i believe there was like a little something when he was asked maybe something recently in the last few weeks but and then he kind of poo-pooed that but um but yeah it's like that's what right off the bat makes you very like kind of suspicious like why aren't they telling people like There's no, I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can build your immune system um, to to fend off a virus or to to deal with a virus or bacteria, Um, Mm -hmm. you know. So there's vitamin C, there's there's zinc, um, vitamin D. um, So the whole vitamin and mineral realm. And then there's just lifestyle stuff, mm -hmm. you know, but you can't make money off the lifestyle stuff.
1: Sure, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, and also, of course, I mean, stress is a huge factor in disease. And you know, obviously, this whole situation, even just the threat of some terrible novel virus is going to stress people out um, but yeah, that's the thing i that was one of the one of the pieces that I wrote you know early in the pandemic was kind of about this this question of like so if these people are supposedly care about our health, why? isn't everyone well-educated about nutrition, you know, and, and their immune system? And why don't we have public programs providing, you know, vitamin supplementation and... Um, exercise,
0: yeah. places to exercise and fresh air yeah. and get, get connected. It was like everything was the opposite, um, and yeah. to some degree still is. Everything is the opposite of what builds your immune system. It's like everything to, like, lower your immune system, weaken your immune system. You know, I even... And uh, to me, even the idea of um, the idea of isolating, of of quarantining, isolating for months and months and months, um, you know, to build an immune system, to build your immune system strong, you have to have exposure to germs. Otherwise, your immune system just atrophies. You know, just like a like a muscle in your body. If you're not using them, if I'm not using, you know, if I'm not you know using my muscles, the muscles just atrophy because they need to be used to be strong and vital so I mean I think that that's another thing that, that I don't actually agree with that i mean I understand if you're if you're compromised or you're you're' in a, there certain people in certain situations, but if you're young and you're fairly healthy, i mean expose yourself to germs to like you know <laughs> to build your immune system
1: totally yeah i i i agree i mean i think I think that's true scientifically i don't um have evidence for it, but it makes sense to me. But then, um, I, I've, uh, been following, uh, this guy, Chris Martinson's COVID coverage, um, uh, for several months. Have you, are you familiar with him? No. Peak prosperity, uh, YouTube channel. And he's really interesting because he started out at the beginning, like super cautious, like, yes, we need to lock down and wear masks. And then he has, you know, really, um, sincerely followed the science and changed his perspective as we've gotten more information. And um, yeah, I mean, his, his perspective now is that we have pretty much reached uh, herd immunity. And, but that's, you know, back to what you were saying about like being exposed to different pathogens and each other, like then we build herd immunity much quicker, like by continuing to lock down I mean, at this point, it might even be like irrelevant with regard to herd immunity because we may have already reached it, um, which you know really calls into question why are the lockdowns happening. But but even you know months ago, it's like yeah, let's protect the you know the people who are most vulnerable. But the rest of us, like actually by socializing with each other, theoretically, according to him and the science that he's followed. Um, we could have reached herd immunity much quicker, like Sweden did. Yeah. um, By, you know, healthy people actually passing the germ around. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this whole question, there's so many things that just, you know, talking about critical thinking are just not questioned or they're not, like this whole idea of um, we have to slow the spread. You know, I I saw that you, you posted something, I'm not sure how far back it was, but the original idea was, we have to slow the spread so the hospitals aren't overwhelmed, you know. Um, and then you're like, okay, well that makes sense if there's somewhere where they're overwhelmed, you so, you know. And that was like six months ago, you know. <laughs> it's like, why mm-hmm. are we? Slow- what is the point of slowing the spread? I, I like to fa- quicken the spread, you know, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so just so many things that are strange, like you know, you can't stop a virus. Why do you want to slow the spread? Um, you know. So then. If I listen to people that are really connected to the news, then what they'll say is, well, we want to slow the spread for the vaccine. You know, because uh-huh. the vaccine is going to make everything, all of a sudden everything just going to be perfect once the vaccine yeah. comes, you know?
1: People are so conditioned <laughs> to that idea. The, just like that faith in, you know, the silver bullet of a vaccine. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's highly questionable. But, you know, the, the, the crazy thing, too, about, like, the hospital overwhelm, I have a little anecdotal story to add on top of this, but it was really interesting. Like, you know, uh, I don't know, a few months ago is probably, I imagine in June, there was um, that little documentary made by Journeyman Productions with the nurse who came to New York from Florida um, to uh, to work in what was the most heavily hit area of New York and the most heavily hit hospital. So it was like the epicenter of the epicenter in the United States. And she was compelled to go on record saying like, we are killing these people. Most of these people don't need to be here. People are coming in who are not infected and they're getting infected here. And then we're intubating them and they're dying. And you know, so it's like when we look at these crazy, um, you know, death rates that, that we were seeing in New York and these people, you know, who are dying in the hospital, she wasn't the only person who was saying, we are killing these people, you know? And one of the th- really interesting things she said was that people, a lot of people were coming in with panic attacks, shortness of breath, you know, heart rates probably elevated, but they're, they're like, Oh my God, I have COVID. You know, that's what they think. And they're panicking and then they put them in a bed next to someone who has COVID and they get COVID. Then they go through the course of treatment and they die. So that was interesting. And then like maybe a month later, I was talking to a friend in New York and he was like, Oh man, my brother just got rushed to the hospital today with COVID symptoms. I was like, Oh shit, man. I hope he's all right. And then I think the next day I checked in with him, how's your brother doing? And he was like, well, it turned out he was just having a panic attack. You know. So how many people actually went to the hospital, this hospital overwhelmed? How many people were just panicking? And that's the other really interesting thing about illness in general is how much of it is either psychosomatic or psychogenic. And when you tell people, when people are constantly getting the message, there's this terrible virus that's gonna, you know, if you get it, it's going to kill you. I mean, you know, people who don't have a lot of confidence in their own ability to, you know, self heal or just maintain good health. Um, I, I mean, I can't imagine. I would be terrified too. And uh, and I do think that actually, you know, I can't offer any any evidence to support it right now. But I do think there is a hell of a lot of evidence for. Much of disease being psychogenic, you know, or or psychosomatic. Um, really important point. I mean, I think it's a
0: really important point. And again, this is not something that's talked about. The media obviously is perpetuating the fear, the fear, the fear, the anxiety, the anxiety, the fear. And we can talk about why that is, but <laughs> um, I mean, fear and anxiety make you sick. If if it's consistent over day after day, week after week, it makes it lowers your immune system um, stress worry, you know, this is just, again, common sense. We all know this. And if you're, if you're perpetuating people with that, so, you know, for me, I, I don't, my consumption with news has almost gone to zero. You know, I have other, like you, I have some other ways I can kind of channel into what's what's happening, but I don't find that those sources are really informing me on what's happening. You know, there's an agenda of trying to, you know, make somebody really afraid. And then, um, Provide what, what what you feel is the solution that has a sense of control and agenda, and um, mm-hmm. and it's just when you step away from that like mind control, you just feel so much more relaxed and <laughs> ease. And it's just like, oh, the sun sunshine this morning. Oh, there's clouds in this sky. Ca- you know, it's like that's what's that's, that's what's happening. There's birds singing. Um, yeah. So just that that fear and anxiety and, and the connection. That was my big journey i don't know if you know that i had, I had chronic fatigue syndrome that's that's how i mm-hmm. came into this holistic um consciousness holistic health so i had chronic fatigue syndrome for most all of my 20s mm-hmm. and um i just really had to understand the mind-body connection you know which i didn't going into it but once it, but that's how i kind of get out of it we went through it that was a part of it anyway a big component of it but there was this understanding of like yeah like the, you know the way these patterns of cycling in my head are making me feel making my body feel bad. And, you know, if I think, I mean, it's so simple, right? We've all heard it. But if I think positive thoughts or if I think, you know, there is an effect on the body and and vice versa. So I'd love that to be one of the things that comes out of this is people start to recognize that more Mm. this mind-body connection and how our thoughts affect our body. Our body affects Mm. um, our thoughts and and Mm -hmm. just being mindful of what we're exposing ourselves to. It's, you know, because there's toxic chemicals. There's also toxic Psycho- psychological thoughts and things that mm-hmm. we can be exposed to that are damaging to us. Mm-hmm. The news being a, a, a huge perpetuator of those.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Like, I, I don't know, you know, how much you've talked about it already in your podcast, or, um, but like, was your um, recovery from chronic f- fatigue syndrome was that all through? a sort of psychological emotional spiritual approach or
0: so yeah so when i first got sick i was going to doctors um and it was it was really um disconcerting for me because i'll go to these doctors and they basically like i don't really know what's wrong with you you know decent test i don't know what's wrong with you but try this pharmaceutical drug try this pharmaceutical drug try these antibiotics try this you know so it's kind of like, what is this? You know, this is like drug dealers. You know, they don't, they don't seem to know anything about what's happening, but they still want to give me drugs. And so then I moved off of that, that, uh, that hamster wheel and started to try to like learn on my own, and explore on my own and started reading books and connecting to things. And that's what started me on the whole path of learning about the mind-body connection, got me on the whole path of yoga, meditation, changing my diet, being more conscious about what I'm eating. Um, just explored a whole bunch of different holistic modalities, you know, acupuncture and some chiropractic stuff and all whatever I could get my, whatever I could find, really, I was trying and exploring. Um, and it was an amazing journey. I mean, that's the thing I would say, that's the things, one of the things I like to get across to people that, um, either are sick right now, whether it's COVID or it's something else or, or afraid of getting sick is that th- everything that we experience, what I discovered is here for the evolution of our consciousness. If we, if we if discover the opportunity that there is to learn the lesson that we're here or lessons that we're here to learn, you know? So it was, it ended up being something I'm grateful for because everything I discovered and learned, I wouldn't have known any of it. I wouldn't have, this, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you, you know, if it wasn't for that, that journey that I had. Um, so... It was a whole, it was a holistic approach. It was mind, it was changing lifestyles, it was changing how I ate, it was, you know, learning to um, just listen to my body, take better care of my body, Um, even changing relationships. That a lot of times that's a component, you know. Mm -hmm. So I like to look at when I look, when I work, I like to look at the whole person, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's disappointing to me about this approach with the pandemic is, you know, you're going to lock somebody, you're, you're going to force somebody to lock down, you know, with these mandates and these laws and things. And all, and you've, re, you've pointed this out and too in some things you've shared all the secondary ways that that's harmful to our health, you know, over a period of time. Um, you know, just the rise, the lockdown has created such a rise in um, suicides and depression and obviously anxiety um, substance, abuse. substance abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, poverty, huge. You know, it's, and it's huge. obvious. It's like, it's like you have people in developing world, like place like Thailand, like a place like, you know, or parts of Thailand that are very tourist dependent, you know, and then you go, um, you can't work for six months. You know, like most people in this world are living off a few dollars a day, the majority, over 50%. Right, so you go, you, you can't work. Like I have a, I know a, a, a guy I'm connected to who's a, it's part of the Maasai in Africa, and they're really, really struggling since mm-hmm. this lockdown. And, and people don't talk about it. You know, it's it's like Black Lives Matter. Well, like you know, only if it's appropriate to a certain agenda. But it's like you don't want to talk mm-hmm. about all these people all over the world who are who are malnourished, the brink of starvation. Yeah, um, and, and also like, who
1: who tend to be the guinea pigs for. Um... Uh, pharmaceutical troubles. Yeah. yeah, and
0: and then if I, if I I almost never see a news story on this, but if I do, it'll be like because of COVID. It's like no, it's not because of COVID. <laughs> it's because you made a lockdown. It's nothing to do with COVID. You made a lockdown that's preventing people from eating. You know, preventing people from making money to eat and, and support themselves. So that's something I really like to, that, that that to get out more. And, it, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like how are people supposed to eat? You know, and, and it's, and then you have the the kind of one tenth of the 1% that are just more and more billions of dollars are being made from this pandemic. You know, their wealth is increasing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a huge component of like what's happening right now is the inequality um, economic inequality and how that's being exacerbated right now. And that's, I think that's underlying a lot of the problems and things that are surfacing.
1: Hmm. Hmm. The economic disparity.
0: The economic disparity is increasing. Yeah. Right? It's increasing. So, so you know, if you look at Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, all these guys are making more money. They're, the the pandemic is great for them. They don't want it to yeah. end. I mean, the uh, the lockdown it's not a pandemic, but the lockdown is great for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't want it to end. And that's the thing too, is like, you know, then, you know, Facebook and Zuckerberg and all these, it's like, they want you, you know, we talked about social dilemma, the the documentary, like they want you in front of the screen as much as possible. So being outside is bad because then you're not, you're not on the, you're not in front of the screen. Right. Um, So you just, you look at all the ways that certain people's agendas are being supported in the plot. You say, Oh, well that's, doesn't make any sense why it's happening but then on a deeper level oh it does start to make sense why it's happening but it's not for your benefit you know you're the one
1: that's listening right right yeah and and with regard to the economic disparity i mean i just think the more desperate people become the more dependent on the state they are yeah and i think that that is you know we're seeing something that is um totalitarian and you know it's it's interesting, actually, like if you, you know, going back way, way early in the the pandemic, um, you know, people started to put together the pieces and saw like, oh, okay, wait a minute. There was the, if you recall, the um, event 201 uh, simulation that happened with a novel, it was, you know, simulating a novel coronavirus. This happened a month before the you know, the 2019,
0: October, 2019.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that was uh, that was hosted, I think, by Johns Hopkins University, but I don't remember the direct relationship, but essentially it was conceived of by what was called the GPMD or the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, which was a collaboration between the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization. And if you look at what the world the World Economic Forum is talking about right now with this whole great reset thing. And they basically um, they have this long list <clears throat> of all of the ways that COVID, this whole event, is going to change the world. <clears throat> and it's all of the stuff that they've wanted for a long time. I mean they explicitly say that their agenda or what, you know, what their mission is, is to basically shape public policy, like economic policy and, you know, every sort of public policy all over the world. Um, and like, this is, I mean, by analogy, it's very much like what happened with 9-11, where, you know, when people talk about the, the pandemic or, you know, by comparison, the, the false flag attack of 9-11, and it really does appear that it's a very similar sort of um, uh, plot, or uh, it, it's almost like it's a template. Where, like, if you look at what the the people who I think engineered nine eleven, what they wanted, they're talking about all these things they wanted, you know, for a couple of years leading up to that event, and then boom, this event happened, and they got everything they wanted. And that's kind of what's happening now too is that the world economic forum has been like uh oh, we want to reshape the world in all of these ways here comes covid now we get to do everything we want and um yeah and it's it's not i mean these are like the wealthiest people in the world
0: and i'm not like
1: one of these like you know rich people suck people shouldn't have money sort of people but when we're talking we're talking about like you know the the wealthiest you know one percent of the one percent these are the people shaping the policy on this planet these are the pe- people who who you know were behind this pandemic simulation which then turned into what we're in pandemic now real yeah
0: real pandemic yeah
1: yeah or simu- actually i looked this up a while ago The the definition of simulation is really interesting um because and it's and it's relevant to Event 201 and the GPMD and their, um, I'm just gonna look this up here, the uh, that whole plot because they actually say that there are going to be pandemic simulations. So they explicitly say that. Um, uh, but yeah, so in dictionary.com, imitation or enactment, As of something anticipated or in testing, so it's not just imitation, which is I think you know how we usually think of simulation, but enactment, as of something anticipated or in testing, and so they explicitly said there's going to be a simulation this year. Uh, I don't know, man. (laughs) It's it's happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about um, conspiracy theory conspiracy theory yeah. and like that's a that's a really negative word out there in oh, the no. collective right now <laughs> and we can talk about kind of like why that's conspiracy theory but yeah. i mean what i what i what drew me to about your writing is you i feel like you do your best to uncover what's true and what's not true i don't feel like you have an allegiance to any particular you know ideology or team or everyone has to you know now it states it's like are you left or you're the right you know and it's like we talked about that too and it's like you get it but um, but just someone that's interested in discovering what the truth is, right? So, yeah, conspiracy theory. Um, there's a few things I'll share, and I'd like to get your take on it. So, first of all, conspiracy theory—that de- that word would mean—it's a theory. So it means if you say, if I'm saying something's a theory, that means I don't know that it's true or it's not true. It's my theory that I can offer the best I can based on facts and evidence that I've accumulated. Right. And then you have people that just are kind of really wild. They're kind of, let's say they're, I'm not sure what the word would be, but they're, 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 they're kind of very loose with their conspiracy theories. So it's like, everything's a conspiracy theory and right away, everything this is, this is this, that, this, you know, it's like, and it's very kind of fear-based. It's very kind of, it's like it's this paranoia. It's, it's, uh, it's them. They're out there, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing that. Um, and it creates this division, it creates this separation. So um, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to conspiracy theories unless there's facts and evidence for it. Otherwise, I don't see, it, I don't find it valuable for my energy and my time. Now, with that said, there's so many conspiracies that have been proven to be true. I mean, so many throughout history that are, you know, CIA documents show it. There's evidence that shows it. And then, then there's ones that even, even if you don't have the smoking gun, it's like almost, you know, there's a you know, lots and lots of evidence to point that direction that conspiracies they're just so regular, and they're, they're, they're almost like the norm, you know um, and the idea that you know, people who are wealthy um, in, in certain positions have an agenda I mean, that's like kind of common sense so, so, so anyway, my point is like to, I, I find that either poll isn't isn't, isn't, isn't where I land myself. Everything's a conspiracy theory. Nothing's a conspiracy theory. It's like, no, the truth is in the middle somewhere and Mm -hmm. we have to do our best to try to discover and explore it, you know, case by case. Right.
1: Oh yeah. 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 I appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, it's tough. Like I sympathize a lot with people's frustration with conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorists, um, and I also think that um, <clears throat> it has probably intentionally become a way to dismiss information that counters the dominant narrative. Um, <clears throat> I think that, of course, that phrase. Some people say the phrase "conspiracy theory" has been weaponized. Sure, uh, I think that's that's a, a fair thing to say. Um, but if you, let's like kind of reframe it as corruption, you know, collusion. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, duplicitous behavior. I mean, we all know that corporations and governments have engaged in all kinds of terrible behavior that they don't want us to know about. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, what what can be called conspiracy theory. Then of course, um, or what could be called conspiracy. And, and when something is intentionally obscured, if you want to get to the truth, you kind of don't have any choice but to theorize. I mean, even in science, you have a theory. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. and so people will be like, you know, that's just, that's not based on facts or, you know, and some things are and some things aren't. and And some things are, you know, people like it's, it's great to be good at pattern recognition, which I think a lot of people, I think I'm fairly good at it. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, I'm able to put together pieces where it's like, okay, I can't prove this. I'm not going to state it as fact, but it's like this kind of a picture is emerging, yeah. you know, from all yeah. these disparate facts. Um, but I do think there's a real problem with disinformation, uh, which I do think isn't, I mean, disinformation is intentional misinformation just to be clear about that. And I think it's a huge part of how conspiracy, conspirators actually get away with their conspiracies. Like, you know, looking at 9-11, there are so many crazy theories about like, uh, and I don't know, I don't know what's true. That's the thing. And and I think we I really want to come back to that phrase. (laughs) I don't know, but like, I mean, we're talking about like, you know, the whole like the, the towers falling was a hologram or they were hit by a laser and there weren't actually any jets. There were, there were holograms or, you know, like all of the witnesses were, were fabricated. And I mean, there's like stuff that's just like prob. I mean, I imagine was actually put out on the internet to discredit the whole idea or endeavor of, of questioning the mainstream narrative or the dominant narrative. But, you know, push aside these things that, like, can in no way be proven, and you have a lot of really valid questions about what happened that day. And actually, information that, again, while you can't necessarily prove it, it's like if you have, you know, 20 um, New York City uh, fire firefighters saying, yeah, we heard... You know, multiple explosions of the floors coming down and there was an explosion in the basement and like, these are credible witnesses, you know, and like, it's like, okay, how are you going to explain that away with the official narrative. So point being, it's like within anything, any kind of um, You know, major event. um, I think it's always valid to ask questions and theorize and when something fishy is going on, there are probably gonna be a whole bunch of completely nonsensical theories that are put out into, uh, you know, onto the internet for people who lack discernment and for, who for good reason do not trust what they're told by the media. To you know, a, a lot of these people will just kind of latch onto any idea that sort of fits into their worldview without any discernment or further investigation. I mean, you know how people will share articles all the time without reading them. And I mean, I personally, like part of my own, you know, attempt to be responsible on these things is I do read everything that I post, yeah, at least, you know. Um, and maybe more, like I'll follow up on, you know, what this expert has said in this article or whatever. And But you know, I mean, I think, you know, like you said, you came across like my writing early in the pandemic and, you know, it resonated and, and you're, you know, you're not the only person who has kind of expressed appreciation for there being a sort of, you know, level-headed, factually considerate approach. And I have to say that I had the time to do that. And most people don't, you know, and I sympathize a lot, like with, you know, the average person with you know, full-time job and kids and who knows what else, whatever else going on in their life. Like there's no time to even read the whole article. No, you know, no less dig into, you know, scientific papers and, and, you know, whatever else is available. I mean, I had the time to do it and I got freaking burnt out, man, like after a few months. And, and that's the other thing. Sorry to go off on so many little points here, but Um, I do think that the, you know, one of the strategies that the, the so-called elites or, you know, those who would conspire against us employ is that with that, the, the volumes of information that are available, and especially with these sort of disinformation pieces, it's very easy for a person to become discouraged with like, I, there's no way to make sense of all this information. And so what I'm gonna do is I will latch on to this side or this side, that becomes my belief system. And and then the other people are my enemy, you know? And and so that's kind of another aspect of it that I think you you touched upon a little bit is the, the polarization um, that happens.
0: Major problem right now.
1: Major problem. And so much of it is really just based on belief. It's not really, there's not you know, a, a factual uh, basis for, for the vehement positions that a lot of people take.
0: Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot I can say. Yeah. Um, one thing that strikes me as you're talking is interesting is like, it's like we have more information than any time that I know of in history, you know? And yet it's harder than ever to figure out what's going on. So that's, that's, that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting dynamic. that's happening. There's like, there's more, it's almost like it's own, it's its own part-time job. If you're interested in really trying to figure out what's, what's happening. It is. Like you said. Um, yeah. And then to me, like if, if there's something that would be valuable for someone listening to this to take away, it would be, to not be afraid, and this is, I think, one of your messages you put out, not be afraid to question the mainstream narrative you're being given, you know? mm-hmm. not be afraid to question it, and not to be afraid to not know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you que- someone questions the mainstream narrative, and then as soon as it's like a little bit shaky, then they jump to some other thing that is oftentimes just as based on nothing as the original um, mm-hmm. narrative. So yeah. I think to be able to question, like, I don't know, speaking of 9-11, I don't know for myself exactly what happened, but I know that what they say happened is not, not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, that, that much I, I can know from what I've looked and what, I, what I've researched. Um, and then you have, like, you know, after that, it was just, you know, the whole weapons of mass destruction and the anthrax oh, God, yeah. and this, yeah. this whole just this propaganda campaign which reminds me of what's happening now it's it's, yeah. it's a similar thing where it's like there's an agenda here that was that was you know whatever happens they don't care but they want to get this agenda through you know and it starts to look more and more you know this this like weapons of mass destruction it's starting to look more, and more obvious that like but there's nothing there but they have to hmm. keep pushing it because you know that's that they, they got to get what they want to get out of it in that case it was the oil from you know and other things but so there's this agenda, and here to me, one of there's multiple agendas, but one thing is the vaccine and the profits that will come from the vaccine and the pharmaceutical industries. Yeah, the surveillance and the tracking and all that that wants to be put in place, and there's you know and other things as well. But what I find too that's interesting, and I was thinking about this because somebody put a post up a friend of mine the other day about you know have you questioned the narrative and so forth. But what I find is there's actually, I think to get your take on this, is that there's a double narrative, essentially. So it's like, they, they actually present you with two narratives, which is generally these days would be like the left and the right. So it's like, here's the narrative, the mainstream narrative is usually the liberal narrative. And then there's the alternative, which is the conservative narrative. But they're putting out both narratives. It's like, mm-hmm. here's your two choices. Do you want Coke or do you want Pepsi? Like, I don't want either, you know? It's like, yeah. So that's, it's like, that's what's so fascinating is like, you got to go beneath like, oh, they're giving me the narrative. They're also giving me the counter narrative, but the counter narrative is part of the same narrative. Right. So it's like, it, am I left am I right? No, I'm, I'm neither. I'm, 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 I'm interested in whatever the truth is. I'm not aligned to any of these teams aligned to narratives, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot. And actually I've been in that, uh, sort of independent position for a very long time, which, um, yeah, I think has helped me to, you know, not to say like, I'm the, the best, like, <laughs> like Trump, nobody's better at critical thinking than me, <laughs> but, um, you know, like, it's not saying like I, I'm the most discerning person or, you know, have the best critical thinking skills of anyone, but I do think that maintain that like, not having an allegiance to, the right or the left is really beneficial um, in sense-making, you know, and in, in, you know, being willing to, you know, look beyond any particular headline, whether it seems to be in support of, you know, the general narrative I believe in or not. um, I mean, yeah, I'm just so aware, I mean, kind of, you know, backtracking a little bit i'm so aware of how much bullshit conspiracy theory disinformation misinformation is that even when something like sounds like oh yeah that agrees with what i think i need to i need to look further into it before i'm gonna you know feel comfortable with it in any way being factual or even a sound theory you know Mm -hmm. um yeah, I think you, you touched on something else. So yeah, it's like this, you know, it does appear just like, you know, the, the certain wealthy elites, bankers, you know, f- have funded both sides of wars or like weapons dealers are selling weapons to both sides. You know, it's like you said, yeah, it's like these two sort of counter narratives are, probably emerging from the same place. And I would say it is, it's not the world economic forum, but it is that class of people who I don't think they're left or right. And, you know, like that's, they're, they're not interested. Like they don't care. Like that's kind of a a show that's being, you know, put out to have us essentially, I think be um, weakened by the contention that's created through those opposing narratives.
0: And obviously, I mean, they, they create through the media a racial conflict. That's, a, that's an ongoing one. It's going on forever. You know? So mm-hmm. Have us have us fighting each other in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, all these ways that, yeah, to kind of get us distracted and, and focused on, you know, kind of pitted against each other. Um, that's just, it's just to be aware of it and to be aware of how it operates and because there's certain, str- there's certain like, strategies that are used and you can see them used in different ways when, when it's time to use them. So if you can catch and go, oh, I see, I see what you're doing here. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bite the, take the bait on that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, that's where, because I see people that get caught in conspiracy theories and they're just really in the kind of the fear and the paranoia and anxiety. And, you know, it's not healthy. It's disempowering. Mm -hmm. But there's a way we can go like, oh, I see what you're doing. I'm not going to take the bait. That's liberating and actually empowering. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's, there's a difference there. So just to be able to kind of to be able because the idea is to um yeah to be able to manipulate somebody a certain way or push the agenda and just to be able to notice it and just like nope not gonna bite that um yeah yeah
1: man i gotta say like too i think you brought up an important um aspect of this which is how terrifying it is for people to when I mean I, I've experienced this myself fortunately it was many years ago but like sometimes I forget you know what I went through when I first started to look at things especially after 9-11 I was already kind of primed for it but after 9-11 I was like something's wrong here started to look into things more and went way deep into a bunch of rabbit holes and it kind of took over my life for a while you know and I pro- and I probably was paranoid um and I think that it's only gotten more difficult since then because there is more, I mean, exponentially more information on the internet now. And so it's harder to, you know, know what to trust and, and all of that. But um, I do think it's important to like, I don't know what to, to do or say about it, but I think that, you know, it kind of needs to be acknowledged kind of like, you know, in the... Um, allegory of the matrix with, you know, Neo waking up in the fields to what reality really is. It's horrifying, you know? And so, and I'm not saying like people should be horrified because there's also, from my perspective, it's like as fucked up as things are, it's also really beautiful. And, and as you alluded to, it's like everything is kind of for our growth and learning and, you know, you whatever kind of trials we go through, um, but, you know, I mean, I get that, like, learning about some things, it's, on one hand, it's so terrifying that people will choose to take the blue pill instead. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's uncomfortable to be exposed to um, and to be kind of, uh, to have the security of the reality we thought was reality taken out from under us. Um so some people will take the blue pill, but then others, you know, go into that rabbit hole and are just like freaked out. And um and I think it takes a while to develop discernment, at least in my experience, you know. Um, so I just I just kind of want to speak to that being I think part of the natural process of waking up, you know. I mean Gurdjieff also, I don't know if you're you know familiar with his stuff, but like He's kind of a controversial spiritual teacher, but very influential as well, you know, from the um, early 1900s. But I mean, he really spoke about this a lot of like the like the the average person isn't ready to see reality. It's too horrifying. And I mean, and speaking of which, when we get into like, I mean, (laughs) some of the main conspiracy theory stuff around which many people probably lack discernment and then others will completely reject because it's so horrifying or so so different from what they think reality is, is this whole thing about like, you know, child sex trafficking and satanic ritual abuse and all that. I mean, I started looking into that 20 years ago and now it comes out and people like, Oh, that's a right wing conspiracy theory. It's like, no, a lot of us have been, looking into this and talking about it for a very long time and we are not right-wing people in any way
0: They did that know. with every that's it, that's that's what i was talking about it's like anybody who's like questions it's it's right-wing you're right-wing extremists neo-nazis yeah. it was like this sorry to interrupt but just just thinking of this um there was this event in berlin it was mm-hmm. like a month ago or so where there was over a million people that came to um it was a rally essentially for freedom Right? And uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. spoke there. And it was like, and there was a guy that, that made a video that was on the ground on the event talking about just like what a beautiful energy of love and, you know, just peace and people of all different colors and people coming together and people hugging each other and dancing together. And it's great energy. And um, the New York Times did like just a few sentences on it that it was extreme right wing neo Nazis. There were lots of arrests, there was violence. what yeah (laughs) you know oh and it was only thirty thousand people too it was actually over a million people uh so it's just you know it starts to become really clear when you start to look at things it's like we're just we're just being given propaganda
1: oh yeah yeah and and i know that little bit of that story firsthand too i was really involved in the um uh protests which were at the time i don't know if they've been exceeded this time or or, um, uh, yeah like leading up to the the second Iraq invasion there were massive protests yeah internationally the most people on the street like you know at at any given time like ever in history and the media was reporting like a fraction of the number of people that we had on the street and so that's really eye-opening it's like it's also a bit disheartening, honestly, I think that, and that's, that's another thing that people, and and I have kind of gone through at times too, is just being discouraged. It's like, I can put so much into, you know, researching and engaging in activism. And then it's like, it's completely, you know, my, my little effort or my little group's effort is like, feels like it's totally overwhelmed by the six major media corporations and whatever the hell they say, because people believe them, you know, um yeah. But we'll, <laughs> I wanted to get back to what we were talking about before. Gurdjieff.
0: You're talking about Gurjiff. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. And the waking up thing. Um, you know, not being horrifying, but no, nah, I don't know, there's something else. That's all right.
0: Yeah, I always find it comes back. It comes back if it's important, it'll it'll yeah. pop back in there. Mm. But to me, what what what's coming up for me in Gurdjieff is a good segue into it. Um the answer so it's like you wake up and you're talking about how horrible it is, you know, and I think it's like really horrible to to like see the matrix that it's like the human condition, yeah human condition and the suffering and the you know oh, you, do you remember the child the child sex slavery. <laughs> oh yeah I just remember
1: yeah yeah But go ahead. <laughs> no go no, ahead. no go ahead, go ahead because I can bring that back
0: <laughs> well what a, so it's like it's how horrible and horrific the human condition is and how much suffering there there has been, and there is and Um, but I think that there's something beyond that. And that's when you break out of the matrix. Mm. Right. And so that's why the work that I did that I'm dedicated to, and I put myself to, is like, if I look at what is the, what is the solution to all this, you know, and there's a few things that we you know, everything we're talking about is part of the solution. But to me, the ultimate, like kind of the root of the tree, so to speak, the solution is a spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a, it's awakening in consciousness. Mm. it's uh God, as Gandhi is Gandhi to say like being the change we want to see you know and, and kind of just realizing who we really are and that, and then you know being an expression of that um in the world mm. so it's like so it's like yeah you start to wake up to things you've been not wanting to look at and it's really horrific but there is something that's beyond that as well which gurdjieff pointed to that as well
1: sure yeah 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 i mean i think i do think that's the thing i am um you're familiar at all with uh, the pathwork eva Piracos pathwork yeah. uh, i'm happy to, to introduce you and your audience to this a little bit um to my mind and experience it's just brilliant stuff she um eva Piracos was i think starting in the 1950s she started channeling something. And I'm, you know, I'm a skeptical person overall. Like, I don't dismiss channeling. I think there's a lot of bullshit channeling. But regardless of whether she was actually channeling something or it was just some other part of her psyche that was speaking, you know, through her, um, I think is some of the most astute psychological and spiritual teachings ever. And she, she did these lectures for like, two decades, I think, there are like 300 of them or so um, that were, you know, channeled by this, the guide. And um, <clears throat> I've learned a lot from them and and have just uh, been really inspired by them. But, you know, one of the things that that came through her was this idea that, um, and I don't think it's unique to her or or what she was channeling, but it was that, like, yes, there is duality in this world and there's good and there's evil and there's, you know, right and wrong on some level. And, you know, it's, we don't want to deny that. Um, But all of the pain, you know, that's caused by whatever it is, like your illness or, Mm -hmm. you know, all the terrible things happening in the world, it's all kind of meant to reorient us toward what is, the the greater good, which as, as they conceive of it, is sort of a level above the duality, which is sort of like, it, it's like, uh, um, it's almost ironic because it's like a sort of a good that doesn't have an opposite. It's like, it's almost like the state of, I mean, as I see it, I don't know, but like the state of, you know, bliss that isn't really, that, that doesn't have an opposite. That's It's mm-hmm. like a sort of higher equanimity. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, there's good and bad, but it's all this one beautiful, awesome, mysterious thing, you know? That's um, it, yeah. 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 And that's, I, I was thinking about this the other day that like, actually, I mean, I've thought about it a few times, especially over the past few months, but like, you know, it seems to me like, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this too, but like, you know, fundamentally, like the the fundamental spiritual realization is that it's all one thing. That there's no like we are not separate. You know, that's sort of an illusion. You call it an illusion or whatever, but like this is all one thing. And I actually feel really fortunate that I was raised um, within a spiritual tradition for to which that was fundamental, which was influenced by Hinduism, basically. Um, but I, like, to me, it's always been the greatest solace that, like, just that realization of unity. And it's not like I constantly live in that. Like, I, you know, I get triggered and hung up on shit and, you know, lost in consumerism and all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, normal human stuff. But ultimately, I can kind of, like, when I go back to that fundamental unity, there is really... um you know, a sense of like wonder and and appreciation and and uh I, you know relief from the the suffering and and so what I've been thinking is like you know it seems like whatever you know even like if engaging in some sort of activism or you know a conflict on Facebook, I want to remind myself of this to do this too, but like just to kind of come back to that perspective of like this is only, it, it, this is a limited reality that I'm engaging with right now. And if I can come back to that like grand unity of things, like there's so much just relief, you know, and like a, a um, uh, like the hostilities kind of become, just lose their, their weight and, and uh, reality. I don't know if that made sense. I, I, it was the first time I've tried to articulate <laughs> it. Makes perfect. It makes perfect sense to me, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally resonate with everything you're saying. And that's that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's the solution, right? It's like if, you know, hypothetically speaking, if the whole world woke up to that consciousness, that would, you know, we'd be in what we call heaven or nirvana or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's, for me, that's a big part of my work is like, being a support for people to awaken to that consciousness, and then, as you said, in, in oneself, you know, doing one's best to be grounded in that consciousness within oneself. Um, because I think the people that we think of or as evil or causing suffering, they're not in that consciousness. They're in a consciousness of separation and duality, and you know, they're they're not happy people. I don't I don't see I don't feel them as happy people. I feel them as really lost, really out of alignment, really distorted. And just perpetuating that suffering on onto others, and there's this kind of this this hole inside of like needing more and needing more and needing more. You know, this kind of like. Um, and so, can we make that shift of like recognizing that we are one with that, and it's inside us, and we're inside it, and 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 maybe someone else can feel it in us and can open to that you know mm. so to me that's that's the spiritual um then you have to, didn't have to use the word spiritual but that's yeah. that's what it opens to you know that's 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 the ultimate truth
1: mm. yeah yeah beautiful I resonate with that oh man there are a few pieces in there I want to pick up on um like yeah it's another perspective I've really been um kind of stepping in and out of, over over the last few months, uh, like seeing the evil is not out there, you know? Like, yes, there's, it's like on some level, this reality that we're in and, you know, all the conflicts we experience. like there's some reality to it, but in some way, like, I mean, I know that even just on a practical level, I participate in the evils of the world. I mean, you know, my, all of my devices, none of these things are ethically produced. Um, you know, I, I can, you know, sometimes behave in ways that I, you know, wouldn't, that aren't, you know, living in my highest values. And it's like, I'm not innocent, you know? And I, and I think that, um it's a trap, really, for anyone. I mean, everyone thinks they're on the right side of things, you know, and that it's those other people that are the problem.
0: And that's <clears> a big <throat> part. That's a big part of the problem right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like is like I'm on the good team. The other side, you know, the conservatives are evil. The liberals are evil. You know, they're every single problem is caused by them. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like that's just creating this 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 disillusion of the separation and division and um yeah, yeah. There's, there's no real wisdom that's going to come from
1: that yeah and even like just from like a spiritual perspective i mean i think shit man i i mean i <laughs> I, I can be uh you know inflated and grandiose certainly at times and and you know or think i'm superior to other people and i mean that's just like in, in some way i do think there are certain you know hierarchies in things and that's fine that's just part of this realm that we're in but like you know i think a lot of people who sort of get into some sort of spiritual thing can then think like, oh, I'm awake and these people are asleep. If only they would wake up, you know, and I think that's part of the, the sleeping really is to imagine that, you know, it's, it's those other people who are, who need to come up to my level or something. Um, And that kind of, you know, not, not that I'm any expert in it, but it has me want to return to this idea of like um, humility and just like, I don't know, you know, and there are things like sometimes when I write, I've experimented with different things. I'm really like trying to develop myself as a writer. Really. It's, it's kind of a new thing for me over the last couple of years to to be spending a fair amount of time writing. And so I've, I've experimented with different rhetorical styles. I mean, I tend to like want to be sort of diplomatic and non non-hostile, non-offensive. Am I boring you, Brian? No.
0: no.
1: <laughs> totally. <laughs> See you, yawning. <laughs> um, but uh, there, you know, I mean, I definitely attempt often to be diplomatic for rhetorical effect because I actually want people to listen. I don't want to just like, I'm not trying to preach to the choir and then have, um, you know, kind of create or play into these different Um, polarized sides but um, but there is also like I try to remember that ultimately like I don't know I can say like I have this evidence this is my opinion there's nothing wrong with having an opinion you know Um, but I think that part of what's like we're not given it's like the value I actually think that the, the classical virtues have become like so foreign to the contemporary Western person that like even the idea of humility, it's like, what does that even mean? You know, we don't know really, like we haven't been trained uh, as our ancestors were in, you know, in living virtuous lives. And, uh, and I think, yeah, it's a, big, it's a big thing is that like we, in the insecurity of not knowing, we try to become insistent you know that because there's some security in that like oh i can hang on to this idea um and i can be right and those people are wrong but i think it's a huge part of like what where we're going wrong is just this like you know everyone thinks like it's certain that my position is the right position
0: totally agree (sighs) yeah it's 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 like um we're going to bring, you know, kind of the news thing is like, we're going to bring this person on from the left, and this person on from the right, and they're going to debate each other and, you know, try to prove each other. And of course, no one ever is like, oh, actually, you're right. And I'm going to end this on segment agreeing with you. You know, it doesn't work like that. But, but what if you had, like, I don't know exactly what you said. Like, I don't know what's true. You don't know what's true. I, I ha- I'm coming in with some perspectives or some ideas or some, but I'm interested in exploring with you what's true, you know, and, oh. and it's an ongoing exploration you know, Uh, and having those kind of like dialogues together with people and having those kind of conversations. And there's very few places where you can, you can access that kind of like, I have some friends, you know, and I feel like you're, you're a new friend that we can just kind of, I feel like you're, you're open-minded, open-minded and we can kind of just look at things and explore it together. Um, And I think more of that would be really healthy because this kind of leads into like vision, right? Because one of the things that I really see is like, it's really easy right now to be like, I'm against this, I'm against that. I'm against racism. I'm against whatever. So everybody's against something, you know, but it's like, what is the, where are we going? What's the vision, you know? Mm. And the crazy thing is, and like amidst all of this, if you really feel into like what we want as human beings, I mean, we all pretty much want the same thing, you know, and it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward what we want. And what if we just talked about more like exploring what's the strategy is to get there? You know, like mm-hmm. we want, everybody wants clean water. Everybody wants clean air. I mean, maybe a few psychopaths though, but 99, 99.9% mm-hmm. of people do. Everybody wants like, you know, community and, you know, loving connections and great art And you know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, we, we'd like to have in a world where there's no poverty and there's no homelessness and everyone has something to eat. You know, And so it's like, why don't we just talk about how we want to move towards that um, instead of just wasting energy in this other way of, of just like, I'm this position, you're that position. And let's just you know, mm-hmm. prove each other, you know, this kind of ego games.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. I, when you said you, you like put out that idea of like, what if I was imagining on TV, uh, like, you know, what if these two people came together rather than in this sort of oppositional thing? you know and talk about like how how do Mm -hmm. we you know or like what is the commonality here what is it that we we you know are wanting to create and I felt like so much relief in my body like oh that would be so beautiful if if um, that was the norm and then you know I love what you were saying about this like coming from the vision of what we want it's huge yeah and I really feel like that's kind of like, what if the this whole pandemic situation was approached from that? Like, we want good health. Let's start there. Like, you know, rather than we want to fight and be safe from this virus <clears throat> as the prime objective, it's like, oh, we want good health. Oh, okay, now we can start talking about, you know, supplements yeah. and, like, exercise and, you know, all that. And uh, I think
0: I, – I totally agree. And I think also really important to say that health – is it just fighting a virus? Like we do, those all those other there's mental health, there's emotional health, there's psychological health, there's physical health, there's spiritual health, there's relational health, there's health of the environment. You know, so there's all these and they all inter they're affect each other.
1: Yeah. yeah, they're
0: all interconnected. You had a really good um, essay. I think that was the first one I saw of yours. You thought you were critiquing the WHO, the World Health Organization. It's like, are they really interested in health? Yeah. You know, they really. <laughs> It's like wait you know what if they're really interested in health then why don't they you know talk about what we're talking about here and you know how to so yeah. that kind of conversation of like holistic health like holistic thinking of like yeah maybe maybe the lockdown will protect some people from getting infected from the virus and otherwise would have maybe but how about all the other ways it's it's adversity affecting people's health you know yeah. and on the whole if he, if to me looking at it on the whole it's like if i look at the whole tab it's like well, people's health are being so much more adversely affected by the lockdowns and the mandates than they would otherwise be if they would be exposed to, um, to the virus. And I just want to say, because we haven't said it yet, and I think that you feel totally this way, because one of the things that happens, and it's important to acknowledge this, when people are critiquing the lockdown, is there's this thing of like, well, you don't care about people who got sick, and you don't care about people who died, and you're so insensitive, and you're selfish, and you're self-centered, and mm-hmm. it's like I care a lot about. I know I actually know a lot of people who have gotten sick, um, and I do know at least I knew people who know people who've. I don't know anyone personally who's died, but I know people who know people who've died from. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think it's a it's a false accusation. The people that I know that or critical of the lockdown are people that have looked at things deeply studied it and they care a lot and they just feel like this is a better way to approach it than the alternative
1: right absolutely man i mean (laughs) yeah i thought about writing a post at one point where i was like you know i don't spend all my time researching this shit because like i feel in some (laughs) way deprived or insulted by this thing or yeah because like dude i first of all, I'm a freaking hermit. I like staying home. You know, like, I like being home. I live in a beautiful place. I have everything I need. I have no complaints for myself. Like, I'm super fortunate. And so yeah, to like, to suggest that it's like, you know, I'm just being selfish by spending all my time, like, you know, researching this and trying to like, you know, offer a different perspective. This is, yeah, it's, it's absurd. Um, I mean, I get, um, and it's also funny though, that it's interesting that there's this argument, which I think is sort of a, you know, perennial question when it comes to like law and political policy is like how to balance individual rights with the so-called common good. And yeah, that's a valid conversation to have. You know, I don't, I don't think it's like, I'm certainly not on the side of like, I mean, honestly, I don't really subscribe to any political theory and I'm not super well versed in them. But I mean, yeah, I think it makes sense for people to, you know, sometimes forego one's own pleasure or, you know, or desires in order to, you know, provide benefits to others. Sure. Um, But it, it is interesting when people make arguments for the liberties that are enshrined in our Constitution. And then other people are like, "You're selfish for wanting what the Constitution says." It's like, uh, what, what country are we in here? <laughs> like, you know, it's it's very strange actually to me that how far people have gone psychologically in to the side of essentially like we must sacrifice everything in order to keep this you know, tiny segment of our population that's susceptible to this virus safe. Who who could just be safe by quarantining? That's yeah. the thing that's so crazy.
0: Like, we don't have to do anything for them to be, you know, to, no one's making you go outside. No one's making you not wear a mask. I mean, wear a mask if you want to. You stay inside, as, stay inside the rest of your life if you want to. You know, yeah. that's, that's up to you. But don't make people who are young and vital and healthy act like they're sick and they have to wear, you know, mandatory to wear a mask. And, totally.
1: And, and I have to say again, man, people who are, well, I think we all should be taking vitamin C. If I, if I can take another couple of minutes to talk about that, I want to mention one other reason why, because I think it's important. So, you know, something that people don't understand, but, but, you know, in addition to that, it's like, why don't we have, as one example, people who are especially vulnerable nebulizing hydrogen peroxide, just one other thing that it's like, you can kill any pathogens that enter your respiratory system with nebulized hydrogen peroxide which anybody can do at home but our medical system is completely ignorant of and resistant to these things that are free well not free but extremely inexpensive that anybody can do for themselves you know it's like it, it they're practically demonized but i mean it's it's just like nope i actually I honestly think very very few people really need to quarantine um but if they want to they can you know yeah,
0: yeah. and people yeah. and people know people know their bodies pretty well like you know that's the thing is like this one size fits all is it just doesn't you know you have you have one person that's desperate financially they're going to they're going to lose their they're not going to be able to pay the rent they're going to be homeless if they don't make money and they're in a lockdown And they, you know, and it's like, and they're healthy um, and they can't, you know, and then when people aren't like able to contribute their purpose and do what their gifts are, really, that's where the depression comes in. And this kind of, you know, suicidal thoughts and things like this. Um, And then like, I'll talk to people and they'll be like, you know, I have um, like one, one person that, um, something with their organs, I don't remember the exact details, but, or someone who's a heavy smoker or different things. And they feel like they need to be more careful. Okay. Like I totally respect that. I'm not going to, you know, that's great. Like whatever you feel is good for you um, listen to your body and follow that what you feel is best for you. And everybody has a different situation. But um, I think that's where the answer is. It's like, and then that's assuming that this is really what it's even about which mm-hmm. I think we both question that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but, um, but yeah, having, having that sense of, and that, that tension between individual individuality and community is a really interesting conversation. If we'd actually would have it, you know? <laughs> it's actually like people just choose their side and they demonize the other side, but obviously, yeah, there's, there's community and individuality and they're both, they both have value. I would say from my experience, um, the best community comes as a community of individuals. Does that make sense? Like people that are really connected to themselves and can can voice what they want, what they don't want, what they need, and what they don't need and communicate that honestly and sincerely and it can be heard. And then you have a real sense of community that's true sense of community based on individuality. Mm. You know? Whereas something like what's happening in China right now, unfortunately, is like people don't have their own autonomy, don't have their own individuality so it's not a true sense of community it's just an, it's just authoritarianism it's you know it's fascism it's it becomes mm-hmm. something that's not community even though it's called community yeah right you know? so it's yeah. like root in the individuality and then from individuality yeah then community is important from yeah. that space of individuality
1: yeah and i do think that i mean sure people have selfish tendencies but i really think the vast majority of people actually care about other people and want yeah. to act in, in people's best interest um, but what happens is with this whole thing, it's like with the mask debate. Oh my God. I honestly have not picked a side on that whole thing. I mean, I'm certainly like, I, I think I, I'm against mask mandates for sure. Um, but I'm not like, and I am perplexed by seeing people walking down the street with no one near them wearing a mask or in their car, wearing a mask. Like it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking to me. Like, and I wish I, I would like to talk to each one of those people. Like, what is going on? Why, why are you wearing the mask? I'm just, like, really curious, you know? <clears throat> um, curiosity, that's another important yes, yes, thing, I you. think. But um, um, <clears throat> with regard to, uh, yeah, like, the this, I think the the attitude that a lot of people take, which I understand is, like, having something forcefully imposed on oneself without it being, you know, rationally justified. Like if I'm gonna tell someone you must do this, like I wanna be sure to, to give them a really compelling case for why it's a good idea. And I don't think people got that with the masks. It's been so much conflicting information and so, you know, naturally, I think a lot of people are gonna say, this is bullshit, you can't force me to wear a mask. And then the other people who are convinced are gonna say, you're selfish. And, but it's really like, I don't think that, I don't, I mean, it's such a, such a complex, a ridiculously complex situation with this whole mask debate. But I just think like a lot of the people who are accused, some people probably who refuse to wear a mask, yeah, sure, maybe they're selfish people. But I think a lot of people are just not convinced, you know, and it's not that, and it's also looking out for the welfare of others, theoretically. I mean, from my perspective, I actually think that I prefer to not wear a mask until someone tells me you must wear a mask in my establishment. Generally, a lot of the time I do that because I want to encourage other people also to not wear masks because I think that's actually for the common welfare. And so, you know, other people will see that as, you're one of these bad, selfish people. But from my perspective, I'm actually doing the better thing for everyone, you know? Yeah,
0: I totally agree. And I think one of the things that hasn't been looked at so much, you know, we, there can be debate about, does the mask prevent infection or not? That's the whole thing. But another thing that's not looked at is, I'm curious how the mask is affecting, actually, sense of community. Yeah. Right? So like, wh- wh- where where I live here, there's no outdoor mask mandate, but I'm noticing actually more people are wearing masks. It's like actually increasing, mm. might be even like 50-50 now outside. Oh, wow. um, so I'll, I'll go for a walk and I know I'm just kind of just observing, I was over a period of days, the people who are wearing masks, they're like, kind of like, they don't look at me, they look down, there's this kind of like tightness, there's this fear, you know, fear of a stranger essentially right? This person can hurt me, this person. And the people who aren't wearing masks. It's like, hey, how you doing? You know, it's like openness and connection mm-hmm. and community. And so like, you know, how's that going to affect people? And then you think of these small kids growing up in this kind of environment, you know, of like, you know, this kid can kill you, they, they can, you know, be afraid of everybody. Um, that's my issue with the mask is like, mm-hmm. if if this idea of like, i don't trust you, you could hurt me you, I'm afraid of you, you can make me sick, you can kill me um you could you could look at the same person and assume the best you could you know you could right you, know, you see what I'm saying like it's like i tr- you know and we don't shake hands anymore but that's another thing it was, i I saw this this show, which obviously was from prior to two thousand twenty, but this guy enters a room and for some reason it really struck me I almost had like tears right guy comes in the room and he's like how you doing i'm you know i'm bill or something and he shakes everybody's hand and it's like mm. this way of like saying i you know it's like this way of saying like i've come here in good faith you know I'm um, trust me i trust you yep. we shake hands you know yeah but now we're in this thing of it's like i don't trust you i don't trust you unless i already know you you know if i live with you or something Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other thing. It's not even really being discussed or looked at. Maybe this could be something you can write about at some point soon, but like the psychology yeah. of the mask wearing, you know? Oh,
1: totally. Yeah. And just the social and emotional impact of and it. the social I mean, distancing. Yeah. It's, it's dehumanizing. I yeah. mean, a huge part of being human is at being a freaking mammal. I mean, yeah. really is, is uh, actually it extends even beyond mammals, but just body language communication. And so much of it is in the facial expression, you know, it's an innate way of communicating, like even, you know, with our pets or other animals, like we can see what they're feeling in their facial expression mm-hmm. and to completely remove that. I mean, the eyes still are expressive. Like I can't say it's like 100%, but I mean, it is very dehumanizing. There's a, there's a big part of just connection. It's just seeing each other's faces and yeah, with the contact, like I feel you. Yeah. It's like, there's a, um, I mean, I even noticed, man, like, where I'm not afraid of, you know, the virus or um, I'm not naturally inclined to, like, keep distance from people. And I more or less intentionally don't do that um, because I'm trying to, like, not fall into this thing. But even me having that perspective, I notice because it is the social expectation that i have started to become acculturated to that too where i will sort of naturally or automatically start to move away from someone if they're approaching me or something and that's not a conscious thing it's a it's a cultural thing and that's like you know even you know just looking at like the difference between like in american culture we actually tend to expect more space you know between ourselves whereas you go to like asia and it's just like people are just red in each other's spaces all the time you know it's a different cultural expectation and now our culture is shifting unconsciously subconsciously to
0: or intentionally maybe
1: well in- intentionally but i yeah. think that even just noticing in myself because yeah. consciously yeah. i don't want to do that but even subconsciously i'm already being acculturated to it uh-huh. um yeah uh it's it's yeah it's it's sad
0: <laughs> have you have you looked at uh, the whole transhumanism potential component of this and like that being potential like agenda of because you mentioned dehumanizing right and that's the word Mm -hmm. that that's the one word if I get something one word what I feel is happening it's like there's a dehumanization we're being dehumanized right Mm -hmm. and it's like so I don't I don't know if gonna say anything about that but it is an interesting thing of like dehumanization more onto the screen more onto technology more onto all this stuff and there's this rise of technology, computers, and like they're bec- they're kind of more efficient than human beings. They do the job quicker and faster, and they will more so and more so as we advance. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so We're becoming obsolete. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wrote that piece. Uh, I wrote a piece a few months ago about um, the uh, the Microsoft six 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 patent which is very much a transhumanist. Do you remember that one? Um, tell say more about it. Ah, it's so fascinating. Well, so the patent application that Microsoft put out um, or submitted was, I, I don't remember what the uh, the letters were, but there's like two letters, then 060606. Mm-hmm. It's like 666. <laughs> and it's a for a, a cryptocurrency system that interfaces with the body, which mm-hmm. is so you know, it can easily be, you know, referenced to the the biblical reference of the, you know, 666, like it's in the in the hand or in the forehead. And, you know, we put microchips in the hand and then we have now all of this tech that's, you know, going here. Um, at least, you know, it's not necessarily the forehead, but in this region, um, you know, but I mean, it's de- it's definitely like, it's one of the steps in the direction of of transhumanism um, where even our currency and our ability to exchange is tied to, tied into our biology. Um, Even, I mean, the the patent application is talking about the movement of body fluids, you know, being in some way, Regulating one's uh, like it's basically a reward system, so like you'll be rewarded for having certain, you know, biological functions, and I mean it's really really creepy stuff. But that came out, you know, in the, this year, like among other weird things. Um, this, uh, I think that agenda is is moving rapidly forward.
0: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to just kind of like feel into. I mean, you definitely have this sense with um, – you know, I'm thinking of Bill Gates. And as soon as the the lockdown, or right around that time, he comes in and is like, you know, this is the new normal, and this is the way it's going to be. And, um, you know, until the vaccine will be in lockdown, it's like, who is this guy? Is he an elected official? Is he a doctor? <laughs> it's just, you know, so – but – but it feels like, yeah, I think whatever whatever, you, I mean, whatever your perspectives is right now, I think everybody kind of senses that we're in the midst of something big, you know, and there's some kind of big, there's a, we're in the midst of a big transition and where's it going to go, you know, and, and, and part of where it's going to go is up to us, right? I think that's part of our message is like, mm-hmm. what do we want to create? What is the vision we want to create? Yeah, There are agendas that, that are different people have in place, um, but we can, we can, um, you know, give ourselves to, um, doing our best to make sense of the world around us each day and, um, speak our truths. And in speaking our truths, we start to resonate with people that are like frequency, like you and I have
1: mm. come
0: together. Mm-hmm. And then I see that. I see the next step is like, what do we want to create together? So I, I'm seeing like s- small pods of people, you know, creating community together. Um, and then, you know, they're kind of like the seeds for the new earth. They're kind of like these pods for the new earth that kind of become networked together. Mm. Um, so that's my positive vision of what's, mm. of what's possible. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you want to share as far what you see as far as what's possible or visions of what, what, what's, what's the good that can come out of this potentially?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming back to that and, and the, you know, visioning what we can create and and uh, looking at the opportunity in the situation. That was actually, I think the first thing I wrote about the pandemic when I was like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm confident because I'm an optimist that there's, there's an opportunity here, you know? And it's something I've been thinking about again lately. And I think there are a lot of opportunities and one of them is, um, or you know, positive things that can come from this. And the main one I'm focused on right now is, um, that people can learn about taking care of their health. Yeah. And can learn about things like vitamin C, like hydrogen peroxide, like emotional regulation and the impact that that has on our health. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that, you know, the the model of medicine that we've been living with, um, you know, for the last 100 plus years is, is damaging. I mean, there are good things about it, but, um, you know, that that's my hope. And that, so that's what I'm focused on mainly right now in, in terms of my writing and research is just to, to help to expose um, the actually scientifically supported and valid information in the realms of um you know natural natural remedies but also and closer to nature remedies um but also the the power of healing intention and there's a ton of research about this um which has very broad implications for i mean the whole way that we you know not only regulate our health but interact with all of reality and so again that's part of why i really appreciate you bringing bringing us back to that is um I do think it's important for us really to maintain a vision of what is the world we want to live in, you know, and keep, keep moving toward that rather than just constantly reacting and fighting against the threats and insults that come at us.
0: Beautiful. Hmm. Anything else you want to share or ways people can stay connected to you or be in contact with you?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you're going to post this on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, probably, you know, people can connect with me there. Um, I have a medium profile where I've posted some things. I actually need to bring my writing, um, all more into one place. I have another website, um, which is supernature.me where I've tried to kind of go in a different direction, kind of still working on formulating that. Um, but I think probably that's probably the best link because what I'm going to do is bring together all of my writing there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it'll be on all different kinds of topics. So I may even do, do a podcast and invite you on.
0: Yeah, you might.
1: Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, Aaron, it's been yeah. a real joy.
1: Thanks for, yeah, thanks my for pleasure being with is. us. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for being a part of this amazing community. The Brian Piergrossi Podcast is produced by Brian Piergrossi. Assistant producer, Giovanni Piergrossi. Please subscribe and leave a review or comment on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. You can find me online on Facebook or Instagram. For personal sessions with me, contact me at thebigglow.com. That's T-H-E-B-I-G-G-L-O-W.com.